Hi, friends, and welcome back to a new year at Maya, My Yoga Audio. Listeners, it's 2021, and we are heading into fresh new territory on our audio journey this year. I'm your host, Megan Morgan, and I know we've all said or heard this before now, but whoa, 2020 was definitely a year to remember, wasn't it? I know that for me, as difficult as 2020 was, one of the most amazing things to come out of it was the launch of this podcast, and I couldn't be happier to be continuing along with all of you right now. We finished out December with the chapter-by-chapter reading of my first book, The End of Me, and today we're kicking off 2021 with an interview and conversation with one of my most favorite people and yoga teachers, Angie Franklin. And Angie, as many of you may already know, is the founder of Afro Yoga, a global movement that is revolutionizing wellness for the people. I first heard about Angie several years ago when she started doing donation-based yoga classes in a local park, and it was specifically being marketed and intended to uh, for women of color to give them access to this practice by one of their own. And at that time, there weren't a lot of Black yoga teachers in our community. And Angie specifically responded and met a want and need for this kind of practice led by a woman of color. People would tell me time after time, you've got to meet Angie. She's so amazing. You would love her. I think you have a lot in common. And so we did eventually meet. One day I was arriving to the yoga studio that I used to teach at. It's called Bra. I've mentioned it before. And who should be coming out of the doors as I was entering? Angie. So we chatted for several minutes and we instantly connected as all of our mutual friends knew that we would. And Angie and I both taught out of that studio for a short time, but then it wasn't long before she rocket launched her now full-time life's work, which includes teaching, mentorship, yoga and wellness retreats, business courses for wellness entrepreneurs, graphic design, and even her own podcast too. Angie, I am just speaking aloud what I know about you in a very general sense, but I want to pause from introducing you to just warmly welcome you to the show and to thank you for being here, as well as for all the work you've done and continue to do. Wow. (laughs) That's probably like the best introduction I have ever received. (laughs) And can we just pause and just say how amazing your voice is for a podcast? Like I can just listen to you all day. Thank you for that introduction. You make me sound good. I always tell people, wow, you make me sound good. But you know, I guess sometimes you, until you really pause and take a look at it all, you don't realize how much you've done. So thank you for that, for that gift. I was really just soaking it in. And um, it's been a pleasure and an honor to do this work. You're you're amazing. And what people don't realize, we're doing this not in person. Thanks to, to COVID, we are all in our respective uh home locations, keeping safe and sound so we can continue to have these important conversations. I didn't want to not interview people because we couldn't get together in person. It's it's just too important. And so I'd love, Angie, if you would introduce yourself to the world right now. What's your, and I say non-standard elevator pitch because everyone's like, tell it to me in 10 seconds or less. I don't care how long it takes. I want people to hear from you about who is Angie? What does she stand for? What is she all about? Wow. You know, the the cool thing is that I have learned more about who I am as I have embarked on this journey of Afro yoga and building this platform. The truth is, is that my work with Afro yoga 
is a direct reflection of who I am. So when I think about Afro yoga, it is me because I am it. And that is a spirit of revolution and activism, a serious passion for social justice, uh, for Black women, for people of color, for wellness, well-being, for spirituality, exploration, self-inquiry, growth, evolution, self-development, you know, all of these things, um, creativity, all of these things are part of who I am and I have been able to express them in my work of Afro yoga. So it's been a gift to be able to be 100% fully myself in this work and in what I do. And in that way to always be able to be completely transparent and authentic and honest and raw because it's who I am, but it's also who I get to be and how I show up to my platform because it's a direct reflection of who I am. I think that some of the things that have shaped me to becoming this person were an upbringing abroad. So um, military family, I have a long history of Air Force. My grandfather, my dad, my brother, all were Air Force. And I grew up in Madrid, Spain, to a small nuclear family, like is very typically true for, you know, uh, military families. And so I think that at very early age, um, subconsciously, I was very attracted to the idea of community, right? And my community was my family, and we had a very strong community in the neighborhood that we lived in. Everyone was really tight-knit and close, close together. My brother's friends would come and pick me up and take me out, you know. I'm going out with teenagers and I'm like four or five years old, you know, and they loved it and I loved it. So I think from very early on, the value of community was instilled in me, whether I knew it or not. And that is something that is so prevalent. And for anybody who knows me, they know that I know how to build community and mobilize people, which is just a beautiful gift. And I'm so thankful for it. And I've also become a citizen of the world in that way. I, for a long time, I felt like I, I didn't belong to any place. You know how there's many people where they can have like a patriotism towards their country. And I, I just never felt that I really had that because in Spain, still being biracial, I didn't really look like I belonged there or like I was a Spaniard. So I still looked at as some as other. So I never truly felt like I belonged anywhere. And so there's been positive and negatives to that. But mostly, I think because I came across so many types of people so early on, we had lived in Italy for one year when I was really small, back to Spain. So by the age of seven, I had lived in three countries and I experienced a lot of different types of people. So I think it also gave me the opportunity to learn how to relate with all kinds of people. I'm sort of a chameleon in that I can sort of really assess where I am, know how to respond and meet the situation and be able to interact and communicate with anybody that's there. And I think that that's really allowed for those communication skills that got sharpened early on in my life. And my dad was always a great communicator. We talked things out in our family. That's how we did. So I think that that also has contributed a lot to my ability to build community and to create what I've created because I'm able to relate with people at different levels. And really meet people where, where they are. And so that kind of gives you a maybe a fuller version of how I came to be. And, you know, my name, Angela, <laughs> my mom wanted to name me Angie because she had a great friend whose daughter's name was Angie. But my dad wanted um, Angela because he loved Angela Davis. And so <sighs> it's truly uh, just an honor to even think that I would be named after such a woman. But it also speaks highly to the activism and the, the fiery spirit 
for change that lives within me. Oh, I love it. Angie, thank you. You've already brought up like several points of things that I wanted to touch on. So I'm like, which one do I choose to go with next? So something we have in common, one of the reasons why I was, and I didn't know this when I first met you, but what we have in common also is a mixed race uh, heritage. And at your gathering event last year in 2019, I will never forget you mentioning the, the struggle in a way, I put that in quotation marks, about being a product of the colonizer and the colonized. And I was like, it's the first time anyone put put the words that way to me. Mm-hmm. I'm saying, I mean, I know you have a Spanish and a black background. I'm Belgian and Bermudian, and no one had ever, you know, Belgium has a has a history of colonizing the world too. And so I'd always felt that tension, you know, in myself and in my family. And the older I get, and the more I learn about that, it's like, oh, you know, always doing the work and always trying to figure out where you are in the midst of that. And something you just said, I've said to people before too, they're like, you know, what's something unique about you that if I'm doing a job interview or something like that? And I always feel like I can relate to everyone because I feel like there's a little piece of everybody in me too. Can you speak a little bit more about about that, about being a product of the colonizer and the colonized? And then kind of leading into the next thing is looking at social, racial, and economic justice and what that has to do with yoga. You've touched on that a little bit. Mm-hmm. I'd love to love to flow into that if it feels right. Yeah. Well, you know, as a as a kid, I didn't have that that awareness. And it wasn't until very later on in my life that I started to real really in America as well. I mean, we did have racial issues back in Spain in the late 80s, of course, and Spain in general is still a racist country to a large part. But my awareness as a kid just wasn't there. My dad would talk about race a lot. He he grew up in um in Sacramento and experienced a lot of racism as a as a young teen and an adult. And I just was like, I always used to tell him, like, man, you're just like always focused on that. Like I just didn't get it at that time because also I'm fair skinned, right? So I'm not gonna experience the same things that a black man does or that a darker skinned woman would. But I just I didn't have that awareness. When when I got to high school is when I first started to experience the racial divide. I went to a predominantly white schools all the way up through my sophomore year of high school. And that freshman year, it was a very white school and the black kids, I hung out with the black kids and that was like its own thing. It's like a whole separate little nucleus. And I know that high school can be clicky, but it was just a very apparent thing that we do our thing over here. So, you know, that was sort of some of the beginning of starting to realize what was going on racially. and. You know, I didn't feel accepted. I didn't feel like I could really, I didn't even know who I was because I was trying to, I wasn't white enough for white kids. I wasn't black enough for black kids. My black friends would call me yellow, you know, Mm. with the white kids you had to like, and then, you know, they would make comments about the longer hair and, and all these things, right? Like it was so weird because in the black community, I was sort of what the ideal of beauty has become in the black community, which is shifting now, thank God, but the light skin with the long hair, slim, you know, whatever, a little bit curvy. That was, that's the picture that is painted as to what is attractive. So I had issues with women, but I had love from the men. So it was, it was very strange. And then in the white community, I just felt like I wasn't attractive to anyone at all. Um, so it was, it was a time of really trying to figure out 
who I was and where I fit in, which I felt was like nowhere. So I started to adopt behaviors and ways of speaking and ways of dressing to try to fit in. And it wasn't until like early in college um, where I had a roommate. She was uh, Mexican and Native American and Filipina. And she was just very free and just very herself. And I think that that was the first time that I was able to really realize that I could like many things. I could listen to Jimi Hendrix and I could also love old school hip hop, you know, or I could listen to classic rock and also, you know, love rap music or Lil Wayne, you know, that I didn't have to be just one thing that I I could be whatever it is that I was. And from that point, I think I started to, as I accepted myself and started to realize, hey, I'm going to be me and whoever's rolling is rolling and whoever's not is not, but I'm good with me and I feel good in, in myself. That really changed the game for me early on in my, in my early 20s. Fast forward to I'm 33 now and the conversations that are happening globally because of social media bring a lot of things to light. So we start to hear more about decolonizing and what does that really mean? And so when I say, you know, that I am a co- the colonizer and the colonizer, I've felt the realities of that more recently because it's, it's the language that we didn't have before. So to have that awareness has been kind of like, whoa, what, is that, what does that really mean? And I think that, that that's something that I'm like ever navigating. I don't think that, I don't know if there's a point of arrival in that, but I also have to say that I don't pay too much attention to it because I have found who I am and I'm rooted in that person. Wow. That's a lot too unpack right there and it just like you succinctly came to the point which I love thank you for sharing that I know there's a lot of you know personal details in there so I appreciate your willingness and openness to share that with people and I don't just think or hope I know that people are going to be able to connect with that because we're all in that space right now regardless of who we are like navigating who we are in this world who we are in our spirit regardless of what's happened before, but also regarding what's happened before, right? And kind of constantly evolving. And I want to pinpoint when you said there is no place of arrival. And I believe that to be true. It's a previous conversation we recorded earlier this week. And that's what it was about. It's just that continuing evolution of the person, of the planet, of the community. And to drive home that point of view too, always bringing forward what community needs. Every time I get a newsletter from you or an update and you're just like, so I've been tapping in and I feel like we need to talk about this. And it's always something that's been (laughs) on my mind, you know? And I'm like, of course, of course she got to it. And she's sending this out. And so I wanted to dive into a little bit more about what social, racial, and economic justice have to do with yoga. There's been a lot of discussion between people online, in the media, in the boardroom, and now even in yoga and the wellness world. And it's, we've all, I think, I would like to think most people listening know what spiritual bypassing is. And we can't just be all like, it's love and light and we're all one (laughs) and we just go to yoga and it'll all be fine because that's not what we're advocating for here. So I'd love you to share a little bit more of your perspective on that. I know you have a decolonize your teaching program coming up uh, starting this month, right? I believe it's January 1st or 2nd that it's starting. So if that wraps in, if that ties into the conversation, love to hear about that too. 
Ooh, this is a big one, Megan. <laughs> and it has it has layers, so I'm gonna try to break it down in the way mm-hmm. that best maybe can be understood. And how I came to the conclusion that this matters. I think it really starts in the yoga studio, which is like the traditional model of, you know, where yoga happens, right? We go to the studio, that's where we do yoga. And that is a, you know, in and of itself, a system that does not have equity in, in embedded into it because it's not bringing yoga to the people per se or bringing it to areas where vulnerable communities live. It's saying, if you want to experience wellness, you have to come here. So already there's a flaw in the model. And what if you can't get there? What if it's not close? Okay, considering you overcome those barriers, let's say as a person of color who's wanting to experience this wellness, right? And participate in yoga. Okay. Now you go into the studio. Well, what are you met with? What do you experience when you arrive? I would venture to say that the high majority of studios are not owned by anyone black or of color. There are a few exceptions to this. Oakland has has some, and there's going to be some areas that based on, you know, the demographics of those communities will will be likely to have those things. But by and large, we're, we're looking at white owned studios with predominantly white Patrons, predominantly white teachers, right? The Once again, we become the onlys in a space. So after overcoming all those barriers, you show up in the space, you're still not feeling quite like you belong. And then you step into the class and you're still maybe the only or one of very few. And so the the experience that it's supposed to be can't really happen or unfold because we're on guard, Right. It's, it's our, I feel for me, I can say it's my tendency when I'm the only person or one of the few in the room, I'm first looking to see who else in here looks like me. And secondly, am I safe to relax? Right. And so if we're in a space where the language and, and, and what's being said is, is for you to relax, let go, release, right. Are you in a space where if you don't, if you're in a space where you don't feel safe to do so, you're not really reaping the benefits of the experience. So These are all, you know, the issues that are occurring within the studio model. And and then even if you go beyond that and you say, all right, well, I'm going to stick with it and I want to now take a yoga teacher training. Okay, cool. I'm investing in my yoga teacher training. I'm going to become a teacher. Again, you're one of the only, if you were like me, or the only Black person or person of color in your yoga teacher training. Again, there's that divide. There's there's not going to be the same level of understanding. A lot of yoga teacher trainings, I know now they may be more culturally sensitive or or provide cultural relevance or education or anti-racism education, but typically that's not occurring. So we're not addressing all of the issues, right? All of the barriers that even had, that were even present for this person to even show up and get to this point. None of that's addressed. And so then you become a teacher and then you're teaching in the studio. So now you're a token, right? Or you're one of very few people. who actually teach in here. So now the studio gets to pat themselves on the back. We have a person of color teacher in here. We're doing great, right? And then that's the model, right? And you're teaching as a person of color to a predominantly white audience who you don't have the same type of connection with. You have a certain studio culture of how they want you to teach, which may not include your, you know, Jay-Z song or your, you know, whatever it is that you want to play in there. So you're not in any of those stages that I described, you are not able to show up fully as yourself. And you have to overcome so many barriers, be they physical, geographical, financial, 
personal to be there and then to be there and not really get paid much, right? Because we know yoga teachers ain't really making much out here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, we'll, and, we'll, and we'll talk about that. But so where is the equity in that? Well, when we look at the concept of equity or when we think about, you know, the equity of a house, for example, it's the value, right? What it's worth. And there's a percentage of a home that has equity. So the equity of Black people in the wellness industry or people of color is like, how much space do we take up in the whole? And so given all of these barriers that I just explained, not to mention, you know, I didn't even talk about marketing, you know, the magazines and the marketing that we see doesn't look like us, right? The Instagram, popular Instagram people that we see with millions of followers are all doing all kinds of twisty bag bins and looking like pretzels and all kinds of stuff. You look at that, you say, I can't do that. That's not for me, right? Mm-hmm. Or I'm not a skin or I'm not skinny or whatever, which are additional barriers to practitioners. So you say, well, how much space do BIPOC people take up in the wellness industry? And all of these barriers, I believe, are are huge contributors to the fact that we take up a very small amount of that space. So for me, it was important. And I what I was recognizing was one, I'm not getting paid shit for teaching here, first of all. Second of all, there's no, I can't be myself. I have to be, I have to contain myself just like I do every other place, right? In our workspace, wherever we go, we have to contain ourselves and be palatable for people. And where is the economic, like, where is the opportunity for growth? I want to be teaching to people who look like me. Uh, Why are they not showing up here, right? You start to inquire, well, why is it that, you know, I'm the only one in here that looks like me. You start to inquire, you start to wonder, you know, at some point I started to wonder, well, why was I the only black person in that teacher training? And why was I the only or very few of the brown or black people that I saw in that space ever, you know? And so that inquiry leads to like a greater reflection of of what's happening as a whole. That is a microcosm of the macrocosm. That is a small example of what's happening everywhere. So this is the bigger picture, even though it's happening here in my town. And so wherever you are, if you're experiencing this, know that many other people in the world are experiencing the same thing because of these racist systems that are in place. And so when we talk about equity and we talk about justice, I think that, that those things go hand in hand because it's my belief that the only way that, that Black and Brown people, Indigenous people will truly find liberation is to have economic independence. Mm-hmm. And so... Th- then my mind goes to, well, how can, how do I, and how can I help others eventually down the line, which is how the mentorship program came to be, find my own way of making my money independently of these yoga studios and of these systems? Because I can't thrive within that system. It's not set up for me to, it's not built for me. It doesn't support or contribute to my growth as a, as a professional. And they don't even teach you anything about the business of yoga and teacher trainings. They do you one little module where they tell you, oh, you can do workshops, you can do this. But really, again, it's just feeding into that chain of climbing the ladder. The next step is to teach for the studio, right? Once you become certified to teach for the studio. So what kind of workshop would you? And so on. It's, it's all contributing to their model. It's not anything about thinking outside of their system. 
So for me, I wanted to really challenge that. And I've spent the last few years building Afro Yoga completely independent of a yoga studio. There's times where I have taught in a studio, but a lot of times those were Afro Yoga classes that I was teaching. I was collaborating. I wasn't working for. And so for me, I think that yoga teachers, and we see this a lot more now, we naturally started to see that black and brown yoga teachers started to create their own brands and platforms because they were seeing this, right? They were experiencing it. And just like myself was like, well, I'm not going to, I'm not going to deal with them. I'm going to create something of my own. Right. And when we, and we talk about the word own to own something, right? That's the equity to own something. And the more that we can own our offerings, our products, our services, the things that, you know, our work, then we can look at economic advancement. So that's what decolonize your teaching is about. It's not about decolonizing in terms of like, you know, in in a way it is about dismantling an oppressive mentality, you know, and, and rubbing against a system that of oppression because it's saying, you know, I'm throwing up the bird to you guys and I'm going to do me. And so decolonize your teaching. The mentorship program is about separating and, and stepping outside of these systems that were not set up for us and creating our own, something that we can own, something that we can build and something that also gives back to our communities and removes those barriers that have been so present in these out, in, to me, in my opinion, in these outdated systems. Yeah, it's the systems that you're speaking to that cause so much personal frustration and like keeps people down literally (laughs) from something as quote unquote simple as going to a yoga class to access to education to all of those things. You've just spoken so many things out into this, this world that people need to hear about a way to do things differently without knocking yourself, like it's not always about pointing the finger at other people, but it's also about not knocking down yourself. And here's an alternative, like let's remove this system and find out about thriving independently of that, because that's what it takes to change these things. And so one of the things I love and appreciate so much about you is when you figure these things out, like you'll notice something and figure something out and then you share it with people. Like, yes, we're having this conversation today, but you've been doing this for years and you share your tips, you know, online, you know, on your Instagram, through your newsletter, on your website, you have free courses, like free classes and free trainings, but you also have paid content. Like I love how you've somehow managed to strike the balance between, you know, earning a living doing this and genuinely helping people and recognizing the barriers that are there financially for people. And one of the things in your latest newsletter, and I can't wait, I know you said more is coming and I don't know if you feel ready to talk about that today. So being a black person in the world of wellness right now isn't actually necessarily a niche. It was at one time, I believe you were one of the leaders of that, of that change, that wave of change that came through even just Sacramento alone, but now on a global level, you've impacted so many people worldwide. Can you talk to us a little bit more about that? What, what you're seeing, what you're, what you're prepping for us in the like later part of this year? Yeah, thank you. I love the way that this conversation is flowing so effortlessly. So yeah, so moving from that place, right, there's a recognition and an awareness over time that, hey, these systems are not for us. We need to create our own. So what happens? 
yes, you know, I was one of the few when I was when I started Afro yoga in 2017, I was still I would say one of the few people or one of the fewer people for sure. I think one of the only if not one of the very few in Sacramento that was doing stuff specifically for people of color and black people. But generally in the wellness scene, there was just very few people you could point to who were doing that work. Right. I think that that inspired people. And I think that as as we as you as you said, as we spoke out about these things and we shared these things and the importance of creating spaces for for black women, for BIPOC, it really caught on people. It, it resonated with people and they were like, well, I want to do it, too. You know, this feels good to me and I want to do it, too. So then we see this this growth of, of BIPOC yoga teachers in the wellness industry which is a beautiful thing because that's what we set out to do, right? We want to to have that equity, to have more space in the wellness industry and greater representation. Brands started to catch on, particularly this year, right? Mm-hmm. After the Black Square <laughs> mm-hmm, and all of that, you know, performative allyship. But we do, we did, we did, and we do now see a lot more Black and brown faces on brands' feeds, on their websites, right? The the representation that we asked for, we're starting to see. Fantastic. But what happens now is that, like you said, the niche is no longer there. It's no longer unique to be a Black yoga teacher, to be a BIPOC yoga teacher, you know? That you can find that a dime a dozen right now on Instagram. I follow so many Black yoga teachers, right? It's, It's There's so many classes to choose from. So law of supply and demand. It's basic Mm -hmm. economics. There is more supply than demand, right? So people still want the yoga, but they have so many options to choose from that the one individual doesn't have now the exact same impact as they could have had before when they were one of the few. Mm -hmm. So that changes the landscape. And this is something, like you said, that I've been talking about recently. It changes the landscape because now it forces us, which... We are lucky for us. We're absolutely phenomenal at (laughs) being creative, right? Making something out of nothing. That is in our DNA as Black people, Caribbean people, African people, any person of color, right? Or anyone who historically has had to to go through challenging circumstances finds a way. So I I think that it's it's time now for, for BIPOC yoga teachers to think more critically and and again, outside of the box. At one point, it was outside of the box to think I'm going to become a Black yoga teacher to do work for Black people. At one time, that was outside of the box. That's not outside of the box anymore. There's too many people in that box now. So what is the next level? And I think for me, I always try to meet what's coming next. I'm grateful for the vision that I've been given to always be able to see what's happening, what's coming, and respond early before other people do or just see what's coming and, 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 and meet it, fill the gap. So I think it's time now for, for BIPOC yoga teachers, again, to, to think beyond just, I'm going to have a wellness platform that focuses on black women or women of color or BIPOC or whatever. Now it's like, well, can you niche that down some more? (laughs) Right. (laughs) Niche that down. I love it. Yeah. Because now you have to think and, um, I shared an example the other day of a a Black woman who teaches yoga, I think, in Germany, and she's doing um, yoga for the menstrual cycles, which I thought is phenomenal for the moon cycles. So you have, you know, your four cycles, 
and she has classes set up for each phase. And I thought, wow, that's brilliant. So, you know, there needs to be more of that right now in order to stand out. And, and the other thing too is, you know, bringing your own unique personality and style to a class and making it your own. And it, it takes time for that. You know, um, it took me some years to find my voice as a yoga teacher. So I think we have to also still honor that process in the midst of trying to develop these creative things to never forget or to not lose the integrity of, you know, the quality of the offering that you offer. So yeah. it's an interesting time right now. And I'm really curious to see how, how things are going to develop from this place. Yeah. Thank you for that. And I know you and I, you know, even offline in this conversation and other conversations, you've helped me tremendously just in like pointing out things. Sometimes we can't see in ourselves what it is that we have to offer the world, or maybe we get a glimpse of it. And, you know, you've given me that, that shot. You've invited me to speak at gatherings and you've propped me up on your, on your Instagram. And I've, every time it like made me cry made me cry because I was just like, this person sees me, they see something in me. And it doesn't really matter who that person is, but just somebody else recognizing something special they see in you. And that can be your little thing, your little offering that you can do like nobody else does based on your experience, based on your perspective. And one of the other things you've taught me, and which I'm still really intrigued by, because I haven't done enough of it yet, is comedic yoga. And I've, I've mentioned it on this podcast before. I, I can't remember. It was one of the initial episodes where I was guiding people into Sphinx pose and telling them to think of, you know, in Egypt. And, you know, did you know there's also yoga roots in Northern Africa? And, you know, I haven't studied enough to be able to speak, you know, authentically about it. But I've taken some of your classes and I've done some of your workshops and um, meetings where you've had guests that talk about it. I would love if you would talk a little bit about comedic yoga and and what that brings to this. I believe that's a niche of of yours now <laughs> as well. Absolutely. Thank you for the opportunity to talk about this. I'm I'm honored too and so glad. Yeah, comedic yoga was on one of my one of my t- big big to-do lists of things I must do. And not because it's a niche per se, but because I know who my audience is and I felt that it would be really empowering for them and also obviously for myself. I like, I think many of us have very strong connection to Egypt Mm -hmm. and that there's something so intriguing about the history. I remember the first time I even heard about Egypt in my sixth grade class, my teacher, Mrs. Piazza was talking to us about it. And I was like blown away by what I was seeing. Like I, I just, I was just felt instantly connected. So when I found out about comedic yoga, I was like, wait a minute, what? They didn't tell me this in yoga teacher training, right? And by and large, people will still tell you that there's no proof that comedic yoga, that yoga originates in Africa. Well, are the postures, the the seated meditations, everything we see on the hieroglyphics, is that not enough proof? There might not be a historical text like there is in India, you know, Indian texts, India and India has done so much for the practice. Like there's no denying that all praise be. And, but they have such a longer history of, of texts and sacred texts and development and, and all of that, that emerged out of India. But before that, we don't have those same texts and as much of a historical reference on the history actually of yoga in Kemet, which is the original name. So Yasser, Yusera Hotep 
and Dr. Asar Hapi, I think is his name, together developed the modern system of comedic yoga, which essentially is from translating, you know, interpreting and and observing the hieroglyphics in in Kemet and sacred temples and noticing this is a yoga posture, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so they developed uh, comedic yoga out of their decades worth of study. This stuff started to develop in the 1970s, right? So that's several decades now. And he's trained over 5,000 teachers worldwide at this point. So the development of, of comedic yoga comes from the actual physical, like what we can see in Kemet. And it has a couple of elements to it, which are very similar to the yoga that comes out of India. And I still have a whole lot more studying to do about comedic yoga. The teacher training manual is thick as I don't know what. <laughs> and I have a lot of studying to do. But there is the, the element of geometric progression, which has to do with alignment. It has to do with the sequencing of moving from one posture to the next, which is very present and very uh, prevalent in something like a vinyasa yoga, right? And then there's the focus on the breath. So it's it's breath and movement, just like any other style of yoga. It's the combination of mind and body coming together. But what's unique about comedic yoga, and I always say that comedic yoga is a meditative style because, um, and you can probably share some of what your experience was, but the original intention behind the practice of yoga, both in Kemet and in India, was for spiritual enlightenment, mm-hmm. not for abs, um, <laughs> <laughs> not for biceps, okay, um, or flexibility, maybe flexibility of the mind, mm-hmm. but not necessarily for anything physical. That's that's the modern westernized version, right? Looking at sacred texts and spiritual laws and principles of Kemet and of India, We see that there is a progression through the physical practice towards a spiritual experience. And you and I have talked about that yogic bliss that you can sometimes experience where it's like you feel completely empty and full at the same time. You are nothing and everything. And that is, is part of that spiritual experience of knowing that you are more than just this being you're more than your thoughts. You're more than your emotions, right? We we are comprised of these different elements and we're multidimensional, but we're still all of the same source, the same one source. And so life and everything that you see around you is a manifestation of the one, is an evolution of the one. And yoga is what you would call maybe the involution of going backwards and recognizing that we all do come from that one and coming back to that one. And so yoga, the word means union, right? Mm-hmm. It's about coming into union with self. And in my personal opinion, with that greater divinity that lives within that source, that, that source from which we all originate and, and are a piece of. So I think with comedic yoga, there is a strong emphasis on the science of it, which involves the spine. And we know from Indian yoga and the chakra system that there are energy centers that are located from the base of the spine to the crown of the head. So 
the emphasis in comedic yoga on the spine is about allowing energy to flow fluidly through those energy centers, because there's also the concept that through the balance of these centers and when energy moves through the spine, that there can be the experience of that bliss that we talk about, of that oneness. You know, this is present in Kundalini energy and Kundalini classes, right? It's like this breaking open and, and removing the identification with, with ourselves as an individual to ourselves as part of the whole. So I think that this is very special and unique in the comedic yoga, that there is so much emphasis on the spine and on, um, and on, um, the breathing and it's very slow. I tell people it's slow as molasses. Y'all it's slow. Okay. (laughs) Slow as molasses in the winter. There's no rush. There's no moving quickly per se. Everything is very slow and intentional because it's about the internal experience of the practice in comedic yoga. And I remember in the teacher training when he would cue us and say, you know, notice the internal experience of the practice. And I had just, I had never heard that before. I had never heard that as a cue in a yoga class ever. And I was like, wow, what is this? What, is, what does this feel like? You know, it, it, it allows time for integration. Mm-hmm. And I think that this is when we talk about, I'm big on yoga off the mat and taking what we learn on the mat off the mat. When we look at that and we say, well, can we move slower in our everyday life? Can we pay more attention to how things feel? How conversations land, how, how energies in a room flow. Can we become more aware of what's happening around us? our responses to it, and then be more intentional in in how we respond rather than react, right? And can we live slower, you know, in order to allow ourselves to actually experience life? You know, I, I think sometimes like I'm moving so fast or my mind is in so many places that I don't even remember what I had on yesterday. I don't remember what I ate. I don't remember who I talked to. Somebody told me that I said something I don't even remember. And I think that this is the case for so many of us now in this fast-paced world. It's important for us to slow down mm. and to practice that, 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 that state of involution and going inward. So I think that comedic yoga offers something really unique in that way that is very different from any other style of yoga. That is so true my experience of taking classes from you in comedic yoga is exactly what happened we were stepping outside of you know having been trained in hatha and vinyasa you know some of the poses are similar and have you know slightly different names but that's what kept happening my body was saying what's going on here and what's going on here okay what does this mean okay this this doesn't look complicated but for some reason i can't quite <laughs> get my foot into this or whatever but I didn't I wasn't panicking about it because we had time and you would just guide us and say like let's try to do this and here's a modification or whatever and it's not it's not really the you know the the pretzel twisted thing that I always find myself telling people is that stop thinking about yoga as being you know the pretzel poses it's it's not about this physical aspect and I found that comedic yoga with the more simplicity of the poses even though they're not all easy it's not like a walk in the park as you said, the challenge is more with your mind. You'd almost be easier, I feel like, for people who've never done any yoga at all. If they did a comedic yoga class, they could be like, okay, because they don't have a preconceived notion of, you know, what yoga is supposed to be. And the other thing that I love about it 
is going back into what I feel. I don't know how accurate this is, but I feel that it's kind of been erased the origins of yoga in in Kemet, and it's it's not as a disrespect to India at all. And, and but I think what it is, you kind of pinpointed it. The narrative text we've always been as a society. It's like oh, if it's in a book, if it's written down, this is the official thing. Well, art like drawings in caves that depict these, that in some cases, my understanding is that these are actually much older than the Indian text. So it, you know, it quite possibly could have stemmed from Africa, much like, you know, our scientific DNA. We all know that at this point, there are people who choose to deny it or refuse to accept it. But we all know that humanity began in Africa and migrated out. Is there any reason to think that it's so unbelievable that yoga may have come out of that same place. So I love that connection for people and for all people. And I don't say that to be like, oh, it's nice. We're all one. I just literally mean if all people came from Africa, scientifically, we know this and we all migrate. Isn't it amazing that this practice that we all practice now also came out of here? And that's a connecting point. That's an integration point for people of African descent as well, right? This is something that is also mine, something that is also a part of me, something that's available to me. And then I love that this resurgence of comedic yoga, just bringing that history to light, the more we learn, you know, the better we can be as individual people, as a society. So thank you for covering that a little bit. I hope people that you'll head over to Angie's website, look at her offerings because she does offer classes with that sometimes. She's just got so much going on and we'll, we're not quite done yet, but we'll we'll get into more about the best ways to connect with her. What I wanted to ask you about next, because you know we've been talking about Egypt and Kemetic Yoga, and one of the things you've done through Afro Yoga is orchestrated several location-specific yoga and wellness events over the last couple of years. And you and I both know we were all set to go this past October to Mexico. And then COVID nineteen stopped everything and everybody in its tracks. (laughs) So this has now been replanned for June of this year of 2021, depending on how things continue to go. Is there still space for women to join this event? And if so, can you tell us about it? Or are there other events and plans you're making um, virtual or otherwise where people can tap into your experiences? Yeah. Ah, what a bummer, right? But yes, so the retreat is still planned for June. I probably, it's been difficult to to promote it because you just don't know what's happening. And so I just have kind of eased up off of the promotion of it. But yes, it is still going on and there is still spots available. I would just recommend if someone's interested to email me or you can email our, um, our support at afroyoga.org. That would be the best place to inquire if you're interested in a spot. It's a comedic yoga retreat, so it'll be all comedic yoga. Uh, yes, it's so exciting. <laughs> I cannot wait. I feel like you just jumped out of your seat with joy. I did. I did. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's it's really exciting, and it's 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 such a powerful practice. And um, like you said, it's that reclamation. It's 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 reclaiming the yoga, right? And it's it's incredible how, you know, the colonized mindset is I'm going to take what's yours, <sighs> repackage it and sell it back to you and then make you feel like you don't belong here. It's just so audacious, you know? <sighs> and so to then come into the recognition 
you know, to move out of being bamboozled and come into the recognition of like, wait a minute, this is mine to begin with. Because <laughs> yes. that's what it is. Thank you. You know, yes. and they just dangle this shiny stuff in front of you. And it, when you open it up, it was yours to begin with. You know, so so I think it's just such a powerful point of also of just um, like something to identify yourself with, something to root yourself in and like the wisdom and the power of my ancestors lives in me. And I get to experience a piece of that through this practice that they left behind. It's powerful. So, yes, email us if you're interested in, in attending. There's a few spots left. Cool. Yes. I wanted to ask you about a few people who have really inspired you to do the work you're doing and who you think other people would like to learn about. I know through gatherings and your other online events this year, I've been really impacted by meeting Leila Delia and mm. her book, um, Nicole Carter, who's a, a therapist. She's, she's actually been on the show as well. There's, and you've, you've got, you know, global yoga teachers working. I, I can't keep up, <laughs> but I love being able to keep up. But just if you can just give us a few names that people need to look up, whether it's through your website or mm. externally, who's inspired you this year and, and, and kind of guiding you toward through 2021. Mm, yes. When I first started, there was no one really that I was looking to. And I just was kind of going off of whatever intuition or spirit kind of gave me and went with that. But over the course of time, Layla Delia, amazing. Someone you should definitely know, L-A-L-A-H-D-E-L-I-A. She has written a book called Vibrate Higher Daily. I read that early, early 2020 in January. It changed the game for me. Incredible human being. We've become friends she, her spirit is like a tonic to the mm. soul. She is just phenomenal. And she has a monthly membership, a Vibrate Higher Daily membership and community where you can get on Zoom and she has different stuff. Like she did a Ritualize Your Joy workshop and she has all kinds of workshops that she has and other content available. Highly recommended. It. it would be just a gift to yourself. And if nothing else, definitely buy the book. It's an, an incredible book. Really impacted me. Um, whew, who else? Nicole Cardoza is someone else you should know. Oh, um, yeah. yeah, Nicole Cardoza is incredible. Serial entrepreneur. Incredible work when we talk about social justice and racial equity. Has a huge platform called Anti-Racism Daily, where she sends out emails daily on different actions that people can take towards anti-racism. Incredible content. Just she has Yoga Foster, which is for kids, a new app called Wellamental for also, you know, for BIPOC kids in, in yoga and wellness. Just you can get lost in her stuff. She's incredible. Nicole Cardoza, a must. Um, I think she's on Instagram at Nicole A. Cardoza. Those have been some of my my heroes. Well, and you've hmm. got Afro Yoga Allies. That launched yes. this year too. Yes, right. it has. Afro Yoga Allies was a response to being tired of dealing with white folks who just didn't understand the basics. And I was like, I, it would be great if, if other white folks could take this on. And so we created a platform called Afro Yoga Allies. We can find us on Instagram as such. And basically the content that is created 
is by non-Black allies, reviewed and led by Black leadership, myself and a couple other folks, Nicole Carter included. And the funds that we have raised through donations and through a membership portal for anti-racism for allies called The Portal is raising funds to provide funding for um, aspiring yoga teachers of color to attend teacher trainings of their choice. So we will be doing the first round of funding in January, which is incredibly exciting. We're mm-hmm. expecting to give anywhere from seven to 10,000 in the first round, uh, which is really, really exciting. And this is where the equity comes around hey, again. That's it. Oh, amen. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, I love hearing, like, you know, and it just, it just comes around like all this work. And that's my, I want to ask you one more question. Yeah. The thing that I'm, I'm thinking of so much is like for everybody who's tired, you know, and like 2020 has been such a, an ass kicker. I can't think of another world, you know, all of us got our ass kicked in 2020 and it's kind of like, don't give up. Like everything you still did is still valuable. Everything you did is still leading towards something else. Everything you didn't do too, right? If you just needed to rest, if you found yourself out of a job, if you lost a loved one to COVID-19 or any other, you know what I mean? Because other grief, you know, I feel like sometimes that's getting bypassed too now because everybody's so focused on just this one thing. And, you know, grief looks the same on every, well, it looks the same in terms of impact, right? You lose somebody or someone gets ill. I just want to send that out to people who are feeling lost and coming into this new year, kind of feeling still a little bit like they're out in the woods somewhere. So I wanted to ask you, practically speaking, what you would offer to people starting off 2021, still reeling from 2020. And I want to assume that most people are not grasping new year, new me and, you know, hashtag and everything, because we all do that. I've been that person too. But like, I want to assume that we've had a little more time this year to think about things differently. And we're all a little traumatized. And we just need a little more down to earth handling of our business, so to speak. And I'm kind of curious what you might want to speak into towards that for people who just want to hear some kind of no, no BS words about that right now. Yeah. The biggest two words that come up for me are grace and pace. Mm. I think that, you know, like you said, this year wore everybody's ass out. <laughs> you are not exempt this year, right? I don't care who you were. You are not exempt. And I think that that's one of the gifts of COVID, if, if, if I can say that, is the fact that everybody felt it. There's not one person in the world who didn't feel, unless you're like way in a remote jungle where you don't even know about it, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like everybody in the world felt that. It leveled the scales in that way. And um, that's very few times in ever in history or in a lifetime, you get to experience something that impacts everybody in the world in a very similar way. And what I mean by that is like the fear of it and, you know, the fatigue of quarantine and all these things, right? Like for the most part, you couldn't escape it. So everyone's been touched by it. And I think that, yes, I think that, you know, the, the need for rest is more important than ever. 
And I think early on, you know, our response, especially as a capitalistic society was like, well, Mm. now all that downtime you have, you can use to start a business and you can clean out all your closets and you can make all these meals and all this distraction, right? Of like, we're not going to face it. We're just going to throw ourselves into doing a bunch of stuff. And then there were those who were like, I can't take it. I'm shutting down. I'm not reading the news. I'm off social media. Like I can't handle it. Right. It's the fight or flight freeze fold, right? The the stress response. Mm-hmm. So I think over the course of, of these months, we've all slowly come around to like, okay, well, how are we manage how are we really gonna manage this? Cause this is not going away. And so a, a more sustainable way to to survive and even thrive in this environment has to take precedent. For me, that's looking like pacing myself. So, you know, as you know, there's always a million and one things going on at Afro Yoga. <laughs> mm-hmm. But, um, you know, for anyone who is who is building and working on something and wanting to bring something to light, pace yourself, you know, th- and, and know that everything doesn't need to happen in January. <laughs> you know, like I, the last thing I want to see and what I won't be doing myself is January 1st, you know, getting ready to take off for a sprint. I'm not doing that. I'm maintaining the same even-keeled pace that I'm trying to maintain in the month of December and in the last couple of months, just to, to have an easier flow. And for me, what that looks like, practically speaking, is looking at, you know, what is it that I want to accomplish this month? So zooming out for a moment and thinking about what's on, what's on the plate for this month? You know, what is the one thing that I'm really going to focus on for this month? Okay, great. What things do I need to do in order to make that happen? Boom, you have your you have your list of the things you got to do. If you want to go a step further, you can consider what obstacles or challenges might might be present that you want to be aware of, right? So that you can make buffers like okay, you know, for example, for me, when it's going to be around my cycle, if if you're a female listening and you have a period, you know, taking downtime on around that time is something that I do. So I I try to schedule myself and 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 the activities that I do somewhat based on what I expect my mood to be or where I expect my energy level to be so that I can be efficient in working with how I naturally flow. The other thing is then looking at, you know, once you know the things that you have to do, how can you schedule those things out through the month in a way that that there is a pace, right? That you're not like, I think organization and preparation is what reduces overwhelm. And what can release stress because once you have everything written out and you know what you have to do, you can face it. You can look at it and then you can say, okay, these things I can do. These things I can't do. These things are our priorities are the first things that need to get done. These things can get done later. So I think, I think that that is just a sustainable way to go about building whatever it is that you're building, you know, thinking about what is it that you want to accomplish? What are the things you need to do to get there? And what are the priorities that you should focus on first or that need need your attention? And then scheduling those things out throughout the month. If it looks like I'm going to spend an hour a day on my side hustle or two hours a day on my side hustle or three hours a week, and I'm going to distribute them in whatever way. For me, I'm kind of a free-spirited person, so a locked schedule doesn't work as well for me. And I've come to know that about myself. So I can say, you know, This week, I'm going to spend three hours doing this. It doesn't matter where they come in, but it's going to get done. 
Or maybe you're a person that likes schedule, likes, likes, you know, a framework. And you can say, okay, Monday from this time to this time, Wednesday from this time to this time, Friday from this time to this time. So I think that that the grace and the pace and the sustainability need to happen around what works best for you. So there's an element of know yourself, mm. you know, if you work best in the morning, schedule the hard stuff for the morning. Don't, don't schedule meetings in the evening when you know you have, have sleep and you ain't got no brain left, you know? <laughs> so I, I think knowing yourself is really important and know what you're prone to. You know, if you're prone to overworking, schedule your days off, which I do. I have a to-do list for every week, really just very simple in my iPhone notes. This is what's happening for this week, Monday through Saturday, through Sunday. And I schedule rest is on my to-do list, you know, cooking a meal on my to-do list. If I want to work out, I put it on my to-do list. So I think that we, we need to also schedule these other things. In addition to the activities, we should also schedule the rest. We should also schedule the time off because sometimes when we don't do it, it doesn't get done. Mm -hmm. Right. We assume that we have all of this time to do all of these things. And then at the end of the week, the house looks a mess. The laundry isn't done. Yeah. You got to put those things in so that you can make time for them. And if those things are important to you, make time for them, write them down. So I think those are some pointers that I would give. And I also would say, you know, don't worry about what everyone else is doing. I know it's easier said than done. I know it. But truly, you have your own timeline. You have your own timeline. You are not on anyone else's schedule but your own. And you will feel the inspiration or you will know when it's time to move or act if you really listen to yourself. And if you're listening to yourself and yourself is saying, you need to lay down, you need to lay down. And then there's going to be a time where you're going to feel the energy rise up and there's going to be that message of, okay, let's, let's do go. it. It's time to yeah. go. Right. You got the inspiration. You saw a post something and, and it's like the fire just got lit. Move with the energy move with those cycles because there's so much wisdom in the body and from the spirit. If you just listen from a practical standpoint, you can schedule out your month and from a intuitive standpoint, listen to yourself. And so I think for me, and I'm, I'm getting ready to wrap this up. I'm big on following intuitively what works for me. And so I've been able to observe that and fit it into the practicality of the schedule. So I think that there, there can be a beautiful fusion of I'm going to schedule myself in a way that I know like intuitively what is going to work for me. So I've watched my natural flow. I know what works for me. I've observed that. And now I can schedule my tasks and the practicality of it around what I know will work for me. So that's kind of how I do it. And give yourself grace in that process. If it doesn't happen, <laughs> it don't happen, you know, the... <laughs> The bottom line is I, I highly doubt if you don't check your email as soon as you wake up that, that you know, that the world's going to end, right? Like it's, it's not that deep. Give yourself some grace, give yourself some space and give yourself some pace. Yes. Oh, Angie, that's a, a million dollar question right there. And I'm, <laughs> I'm wholly confident that our listeners are going to appreciate and be able to connect with the realness of that. 
I learned a lot just in those few minutes of you talking there. Thank you. It was a huge gift. Not only just that question, but your presence here, your willingness to connect with me in this way. I cannot wait till this goes live. Now I'm like, I want to put it out on Christmas Day. Um, <laughs> we'll see about that. But I just knew, and you're the first, congratulations. You're the first guest. We've got over an hour in our conversation. And I'm, I am all good with that because I know people are going to listen until the very end because they don't want to miss what you have to say. You are so full of goodness and wisdom. Thank you for sharing that with all of us. Thank you for being my friend. And just for being a teacher and a mentor to all of us, I I really hope everybody listening is going to connect with Angie. If you're not, I suspect most of you are already, because uh, I know most of the people I'm connected with already know Angie. So follow along on her social media, sign up for her newsletter. I promise it's full of things you want to know. These are one of the very few people that provides valuable and appreciated content every single time that I receive it. So I know you will want that goodness too. I'll be sure to put all her connection points in the show notes. We'll be posting on our Instagram, on the website, and on the blog. And just so you know, moving forward in 2021, I'm definitely working on more episodes with phenomenal people just like Angie. There's going to be more classes designed to both soothe and challenge your mind and your body. Maybe we'll get Angie to host a class. I'm just going to throw that out there. Um, But most of all, I want to curate experiences here at Maya that are a little different than what you might find anywhere else. So if you're enjoying the show, please take a moment, send me an email, write a review. You can rate the podcast on Apple and other platforms. Feel free to make a donation, buy a sponsored product. All of these things help to keep the podcast going strong and to fund it. And so until next time, I'm here for you if you need me, but I want you to keep listening closely. Recall that Angie said that too. Listen to yourself. Continue expanding exponentially. How can you grow out of the systems we've become accustomed to? What's your pathway out of this system and into your system that works for you? So remember here at My Yoga Audio, it's always a good time for your mind to be on the mat and we'll see you next time.